This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today's episode, I'm going to cover contractors and what kind of forms you need, if any, what kind of paperwork you need for contractors. This is going to be distinct from episode 96, where I cover what makes someone an independent contractor versus an employee. This is really going to be about contractor forms. And you can go go all over the spectrum here, you know, as simple as, you know, some people say, hey, John Smith, thanks for walking up here, quasi-homeless, here's 10 bucks, clean out that house. Okay, that's obviously on the very schmo end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, the pro would be, you know, the union plumber who's got the truck and the hat and the business card and the laptop with their name on it. And they're they're a pro, right? And they charge you service fees. They got their own equipment. They got their own tools. They got crews. They have a website. Obviously, the pro is going to cost more. And practically, it's hard to get pros a lot of times unless you've got a lot of business with them where the schmoes often live in the park and they're available. You know, I've got some schmoes that I really appreciate, right? That and I call them a schmo, but it sounds disingenuous, but I appreciate it. But I'll call them or text them sometimes at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night and say, hey, sewer clog, can you get there in the morning? And he's like, uh, I've been drinking. No, not that much. I'll be right over there. And I'm like, good grief. You know, like, okay, it's a sewer clog. Is he going to blow something up? No. How much has he been drinking? Eh. Okay, thanks for getting it unclogged at 10.15 at night. So that's great. Um, I had this one contractor, Roberto, who was just awesome. And I had a single family house. This is on the 4th of July weekend that and I'm sitting here as I was in law school at the time and I'm sitting up, it's like 11, 15, 11, 30 at night. I'm sitting at my dining room table, practicing law. And wouldn't you know it, the storm comes and a tree, you know, I don't know if it got hit by lightning or just winds. I don't remember, but a huge tree fell down took out the power line, knocked the power off the house, and the house had no power. The tree hit the roof, and the dormer broke the roof. It's leaking. The live wire is on the ground. Took the uh, electric riser and all that stuff off the house. And I called Roberto. And it's like, hey, man, it's late. And he goes, he answered. Um, I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, tired, long day. Sit down, cerveza, go sleep. I said, okay. I said, hey, I got a, I got this roof leak. You know, could you get over there and tarp it before it gets wet? Um, if not tonight, I get it tonight. Can you do it in the first thing of the morning, you know, to preserve any potential damages and mitigate damages? And he said, give me 10 minutes. And he was over there, and he lived right down the street. He was over there in 10 minutes and made this, you know, big problem, a small problem. It ended up becoming a big problem because... The city permit department was closed, electric department was closed. My entire insurance branch was family-oriented and into a family business, and they took the lake weekend around the 4th of July. So I had four or five, six days with nobody around, no power, you know, roof was not secure, 
all this kind of stuff and the uh, electric riser the riser and then the can meter on the home had to be upgraded and that meant because of the ampage of this old 1910 house i had to replace some knob and tube or old school wiring so it cost me like five grand and the insurance company didn't pay for upgrades they didn't pay to take the tree away because the tree hit the house rolled off the house so it didn't need to be removed from the house so that really sucked but roberto saved the day so i'm getting on tangent but um He'd be a quasi-schmo under the normal definition, but he's a pro in my heart. Okay, so what are, what are the rules here on documents? Do you need to have a vendor, a contractor, have workers' comp and general liability insurance? The preferred answer is yes, of course. Practically, the guy that is going to trash out a house for 100 bucks, or the guy that's going to put in skirting if you do it in-house, which is much cheaper, um, or just the guy that's going to pick up trash in the park, pick up loose limbs, pick up the dirty mattresses, throw them in the dumpster. That guy's not going to have general liability insurance and workers' cap insurance, okay? So what do you do? Um, as a lawyer, I probably shouldn't admit this, that I sometimes don't make them have all of the proper insurance. But here's what I do. I have them sign a general contractor, independent contractor waiver. And it's got all kinds of legalese in there. They waive everything to the full extent of the law. And I get W-9, so I can, you know, 1099 them legitimately at the end of the year because you don't want to cheat on your taxes. That's a bad deal. So the waiver, that helps. Is the waiver going to hold up? The answer is it depends. Um, it could not. The guy slips and breaks his ankle, he's probably not going to sue you for a million dollars. And he's going to be like, dang, I signed a waiver. He's going to take it to a junior varsity attorney who is obviously going to be contingent fee because he can't afford to hire somebody for two, three, four hundred dollars an hour. And the junior varsity attorney's gonna say, eh, it's an ankle. You're screwed, you signed a waiver. Okay. Now if the guy falls off a tree and breaks his neck, him or his, you know, kin is going to sue you for millions of dollars. Is the waiver gonna hold up? Probably not, because you pretty much made him sign under duress. You said if you want the money, if you want the work, you must sign. That's a gray area. Case law and this kind of stuff is very fact specific. Um, I wouldn't hang my hat on so you should never hire a schmo just on a waiver for anything quote dangerous they can't be painting roofs they can't be they could they could paint like the baseboard trim of a house they can't they can even paint the body of the house but they can't paint the roof none of this is legal advice by the way um, they certainly can't be running concrete machines drinking you know, you know augers and stuff drilling in the ground to pour concrete they cannot certainly be transporting mobile homes and or installing mobile homes about the installer license or DOT license, CDL, all that kind of stuff. I don't let them trim trees. Trim trees are just, trimming trees by its nature is dangerous. Um, so I only allow pros to trim trees. You must have GL and work comp. Um, little stuff like, you know, interior remodel. You know, I use a lot of schmoes for that. And I make them sign the waiver. Is that good enough? No. And a lot of people have the waiver or the pro. The pro is expensive, the waiver is risky. Here's the belt and suspenders middle ground. I pay work comp and GL on my schmoes. They're quote 1099 independent contractors. Um, but I still pay work comp and GL on them. It adds about 2% to their wage, but it's worth it to me because it's that extra level security. 
when you get work comp or GL, you get a quote or a bid from uh, an insurance company, and they're going to ask you who's going to work there. So when I first started, when I first got GL, I had four team members. I was one of them. I couldn't get work comp GL myself because you can't file a claim for your own injuries. So I had three employees, two property managers, and an admin bookkeeping type assistant. Well, admin assistant is low risk job classification. So the risk code is very low. Um, wage was also quasi low, but let's say my admin made 30,000 and my property manager made 30,000. Property management is a more dangerous profession. So by name, compared to admin. So the 30,000 and the 30,000, the rate was one factor. The second factor was the job class. I then decided, you know, I got a 1099 guy who pretty much works full time for me. He's allowed to moonlight, but let's be honest, I was working him like 45 50 hours a week and he didn't really have a lot of side jobs. So was he, was he an employee or a 1099? We, we paid him as a 1099, but he kind of took a lot of the direction from us and go listen to episode 96 and we'll cover more of this, but he was probably going to be classified as employee. So I covered him under GL and work comp. Now, his job duty was more dangerous. It was, quote, maintenance. There's a difference between maintenance repair and general contractor construction. So he wasn't doing general contractor construction. He was doing maintenance. Did he do the, you know, is he allowed to occasionally, you know, get on a ladder to paint, you know, install a light bulb? Yes. Is he allowed to occasionally drive a loader to put a gravel driveway in? My insurance agent said yes. But um, I paid I paid work comp GL on him. Now, I didn't tell him that I had work comp on him because if he rolled his ankle, I didn't want him to sue me and be on work comp. So I just, and I paid him like a 1099, which he liked because I didn't take taxes out of his paycheck. Um, but he might have been classified as an employee and he certainly had work comp covered on him. Once a year, they do a work comp audit. They readjust your premium based on how much you paid to 1099s and employees and if the 1099s are pros you gotta get their own GL and work comp policy often called a COI certificate insurance or an ACORD form that's important because if you don't have it then it then insurance company doesn't think it counts so like one year I spent like two hundred thousand dollars on the concrete guy and we somehow lost his form so like uh, I know he has insurance like he's just, he's like super pro he's like the best vendor I've ever hired actually but we paid him a huge number if we put so many homes in. And we just we had to reach out to him. Hey, give me a copy of your Accord form or COI from this time period. And he did. Okay, cool. Well, then I didn't get stuck with the premium on it. But having the work cop up front is huge. So the, the first example, I had four employees, with myself being one of them. And then I had a fifth guy who was a 1099, who was maintenance. We added some maintenance to the project, to the uh, the policy. We said, like, oh, I'll probably have like 20000 this year. Well, it turns out we paid like 50000 that year. All it meant was... We had to pay more premium in arrears. We didn't have to be uncovered or you know uninsured, so that was important. So have them sign a waiver. In general, other things to keep in mind when you're hiring of any vendor, when they're done with the job, depending on the job, you know, you should get a lien waiver. That's like best practices. You know, I was doing commercial real estate. We you know we did lien waivers on uh, retail projects. Here, you know. I mean, Frankly, Joe Schmo is going to sign anything you put in front of him. But practically, I don't get a lien waiver for every time the guy trashes out a home or mows the grass or something like that. 
also just when you have a when you have a, a job, do you want to have a written contract? I mean, as a lawyer, I should say yes, written contract. But realistically, I don't have a lot of written contracts. Um, you know, if I got a bid job, yeah, I got a bid. Here's the scope of work. Who's paying for materials? Is this labor only or labor and materials? What's the time to start, the time to finish? What's the form of payment, the frequency of payment? Is there a draw? Is there any retainage? What's the status on who's paying for a dumpster and how frequently is the dumpster going to be around? What about daily cleanup? Um, the key here is a written scope. Like when I had somebody remodel my basement, the first time I had somebody remodel my basement, I added a kid's playroom and a bar. And I had a, I had a pro do it, right? I had a written contract. This is all clarified. Breach provisions, damage provisions, all that kind of stuff. But then I ended up hiring, you know, buying some mobile home parks later in life, and I have a bunch of schmoes in the payroll now, or the 1099 payroll. Um, one of them is named Hector. Hector is super talented, so when I decided to add a, another bathroom in the basement and an exercise room, well, I don't really feel like paying pro prices. I had Hector in the payroll at $20 an hour which is really good for a guy that can do, you know, you know, stud out a room, electric, HVAC, put in a window into the in a window well in a basement bedroom, uh, sheetrock, mud tape, you know, paint, ceiling, the popcorn, not the popcorn, whatever the other stuff's called, the popcorn ceiling, uh, upgrade the panel box, you know, put in the shower pan, tile the floor, the whole nine yards, right? Okay, $20 an hour is pretty cool. The pros were going to charge me like $80 an hour, and they had insurance. Well, I already had Hector on WorkOp GL, so it cost me like another dollar an hour. So it was pretty chill. So, frankly, I didn't have a written scope with him. I just supervised him. Um, best practice of written scope, but it's not that practical. Best practice would be, hey, get a list of references, call them, look at their portfolio, visit some of their job sites. Realistically, we don't do a lot of that stuff. Um, I do recommend that you do a background check. And, you know, if you're going to do bid work, I absolutely recommend you get numerous bids, especially on stuff like tree trimming work and road work, because they're all over the map. I've got this crew of guys that are just great. Um, the first time I hired them, they're guys are from Africa, but they, they live here in America, in America now, obviously. And they're like pastors and church folk by day, but they don't make that much money. It's more of their ministry. So by night and weekend, they trim trees. And they're licensed, insured, but they don't have the equipment. They like literally climb the trees and use ropes and stuff as like pulleys, and they cut down big trees, and they're safe, and they're doing a good job. First time I got three bids, I walked the park myself, so I knew I had an apples and apples bid, which is important also, especially on road work because they could really deviate. But here on trees, I got three bids. 35,000, 67,000. There's a lot of trees that need to come down at this park and be trimmed up. It was pretty rough, rough and tough. The third bid from my uh, pastoral crew was $7,500 for the exact same scope of work. And they did an excellent job. And they had insurance. So they were actually pros. They just charged Schmo pricing, which was great. So I, this, this was like five years ago. I still use these guys on a regular basis. And I don't, I don't make them bid it out as much now because they're reasonable. Every once in a while, I'll bid them just keep them honest. But that's the key here is, you know, figuring out when you need to use a pro. And then you generally don't need as much documentation. Just get the insurance. When you need to use a schmo and what's your, you know, threshold of risk here. Having your own work comp GL is important. Um, and really just evaluating how much you want to micromanage them. The, the benefit of pros is... They generally show up and do the job, and it's kind of done. Most of my schmoes 
some of them are talented, actually. Some of them, all they can do is, like, pick up the other end of the mattress. Some of them can barely figure out which end of the shovel goes in the ground. And they don't last that long. Some of them can just paint. Okay, painting, you know, you can teach a monkey to do it with enough bananas, right? It's not that hard. No offense, painters, but it's not that hard. Okay. The skilled work, I have some guys that have pro-level skill or better, but they, they're schmoes. Why are they schmoes? Because they're unreliable. They don't have a good vehicle. You know, their girlfriend drops them off or they walk to work. They don't have their own tools. They're hungover. They got to leave. This minute you even a paycheck, they got to leave for two hours to go cash their paycheck and go drive around and go pay all their bills in person. So the reality is some of these guys have pro-level talent, but they can't show up five days in a row on time sober. So they can't. otherwise they'd be making $45 an hour in a general contractor crew, but they're making $18 an hour because... I look the other way sometimes, which is frustrating as heck, to be honest. But, hey, look the other way. You showed up at noon. You have a black eye and you're missing a tooth. I don't even want to know. Um, that's kind of the, you know, the name of the game with some of these guys. But I think if you're a big company, you're probably using all pros because it's hard to manage your schmoes. If you're a small property, you can't really afford pros, but you also can't really afford a full-time schmo, so you're probably going to have to do some yourself and get a pro. When you get in the medium size, like, you know, it could be one park even, but, like, you got to have enough work to keep a guy busy most of the time. So we had a guy named Marty. Marty did a good job for us for, like, five or six years. And we gave him, like, 40 hours a week. Well, then he went overtime. We gave him 50. We gave him 60. Well, then we ran out of homes remodel. Like, hey, uh, you used up all the homes too fast. Uh, we got another one coming in a month. He's like, oh, okay. Well, he had to go make money. He went and got a job on a roof. Well, like two days later, we have a toilet clog. Like, hey, Marty, we need you to fix the toilet. And he's like, oh, I'm on a roof for five days out of town. I'll get there in five days. We're like, oh, crap. Well, let me hire a plumber for $150 an hour to fix the job that Marty was doing for 16 So we realized, don't ever let Marty run out of business. And that was a game changer for us. So we limited him to 40 hours a week if we were slow. Because I slow. We said, look, you can't do overtime. Go do odds and end jobs overtime. But we can't let you run out of work and run out of homes. Then we realized, okay, keep him busy as many hours he wants to work for us so he's not on somebody else's project on the weekend even. And if we ever got light, we started having to do jobs like personal residence, like my parents have a farm, at the time with my grandparents' farm, paint fences, you know, that kind of stuff. There's an infinite work to do on a farm. Everybody knows that. Um, and then there was a couple times even where we didn't have enough work for a moment where we called another park owner who was friendly and we said, look, do you have any homes to renovate? He's like, yeah, I got like one that I need. Look, you can have Marty. You got to pay him. Here's what we pay him. Pay him straight up. Don't pay him more. That's going to piss us off because he might go to you, you know, take, we're paying him a fair wage. Don't poach him. And you can have him for two weeks. But if we have an emergency, we're pulling him off of your job, remodel job to get a sewer water line or something. He was deal. It worked out well. Well, then we just figured, you know, let's just get, let's just go. Let's get, go faster, go more. And we never, we never ran out of work again. And now we got 20 guys like that, that we just say, we'll find you work. And we got inside work. We got outside work, stay on the payroll because we don't want them to disappear. So that's important for, so you kind of got to get, there's not be medium, like you need five or 10 parks. You could do that on one park. Marty was in our first park, right? But then we realized, you know, we brought in like 15 homes that were heavy remodels, which was kind of what we did back then was super heavy we bought like eight 1980 home put 18,000 in it which today seems kind of crazy but it worked out um in the long run 
but the key was keeping the guys busy because you hate to lose laborers because man it's hard finding work um people that want to work right now so anyway pros versus schmoes those are the forms and your best practices yeah paper the heck out of it realistically you don't always do that um, but if you don't do it you got to have some form of waiver some form of insurance you should always have LLCs in the middle of this stuff as well don't cheat on your taxes that's just asking for trouble um, so actually 1099 the guys require don't pay cash you know this stuff is this is I'm, I'm not gonna go over that that's below my pay grade um, you should all know that by now so uh, your, your call do you use the prop do you use the pro do you use the schmo depending on the decision you've got a number of things to look at and to work through Till next time thanks and god bless you've been listening to the mobile home park lawyer podcast with ferd neiman ready to learn more go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed if you love the podcast go to apple podcasts give us your review and subscribe today thank you for listening Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.